Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, welcome to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. It is July, but in the UK, it has been feeling like October this week, and I could not be more grateful. I didn't move here for the sun damage. I'm sorry. I, I know that people were really benefiting from the sun we had for a while, but I welcome back the rain. And what is happening, by the way, with Europe? Because I have deleted Twitter off my phone. That is a devil website as far as I'm concerned. It was always bad, but now it's changed and I just can't be on it. But that is where I used to get a lot of my news. And so I'm seeing little drips and drabs on Instagram. Italy's too hot. Europe's having this heat wave. And it's basically intolerable to be there. I think there are fires. People are evacuating retirement homes. What is going on? When you are elderly, you can perish in the cold and perish in the heat. So let's get the climate under control somehow. Um, I have been feeling like shit. I've been so tired this last week. And I feel that I've actually recovered today because I disciplined myself. I said, Catherine, this is, cannot go on. I just complain about being tired all the time. I'm not motivated. I'm a little bit like short with everyone. And so I put Fenna and Fred to bed. That takes two solid hours. I would love to. I mean, one of my main goals in life is to put them to bed at the same time, bathe them together. But that rarely happens. Fenna is a woman of the sun. She is guided by just like an old Roman clock. No matter when her last nap was, she knows what time it is. And she has to be in bed by 7.30. She's a woman on a schedule. Whereas Fred has one nap still. He's only just turned two, so we haven't dropped his nap. No matter what time that happens, we always have to wake him up from it. He sleeps in, he would sleep all night when you put him down for his nap. And then like just wake up at midnight and party but we've got to get him up and then we try to get him down. Even if he's tired, he never wants to go to bed. He never wants to go to bed. So I'm really excited to drop his nap when it is appropriate. Maybe in six months from now, they're all different. I don't know. But I try to salvage some of the evening after they're both in bed. I try to speak to my teenager, hang out with my husband, maybe watch a little bit of TV. But last night I said, no, I said, you two are on your own. I am going to bed, 9.30 PM. I put my phone down. Closed my eyes. It was incredible. Fena still breastfeeds in the night. She's up a little bit, not crying, but whining. She didn't wake up that many times. Can't complain. And then she was up at 5.45, which was a treat because usually it's like 5 or 5.30. So I feel great. And I think I just need to get in the right mindset of, Catherine, you've got shows coming up. You've got things to do. And what I should be doing is getting on stage, like doing warm-up gigs. And I think part of what's been making me feel tired is, A, being so far removed from stand-up with these babies. Like, I was on tour for a year with Fred, but I did no warm-up gigs for that tour. And I should have if I was more ruthless, more self-disciplined. And now with Fena, I haven't been gigging. And I, I think that when you have a career like mine... Sure, if you don't like your job, stay on maternity leave for as long as you can. But if you love what you do, being away from that sort of takes a bit of the sense of who you are away too. I, I actually love doing stand-up, but I feel badly about myself when I miss deadlines. And I feel sometimes like I'm letting everybody down. And I don't have a right to complain about that because my job doesn't matter. I'm not a nurse. I'm not a firefighter. Like I don't have to work. Um, and that makes me feel very greedy. I could just sell this big stupid house, 
move back to Canada, live very humbly in a bungalow that, you know, is still a privilege and just be with my kids, raise my kids all the time. So who am I to ever complain? Like I have a nanny if I want, I have a stay at home husband if I want to leave the kids with him. But there's something about being a mom for some of us, not all of us, where it's like, you need a break from your kids, but you absolutely don't trust anyone else to be with your kids and you have to do it. Uh, so I don't know. I just need to get like hypnotized or something, get back on stage, find a way not to feel guilt. I feel guilt if I'm out. I feel guilt if I'm home, whatever. I need to stop that. I need to follow the momentum of energy that I have today. And I'm very grateful to have the podcast. What would I do without doing this podcast? I would just be like singing Cocoa Melon all day long. Um, Joanne has killed it on the emails this week. Before I continue, may I say, Joanne has finally sorted out her early noughties eyebrows. The 90s were a difficult time for my demographic. We plucked our eyebrows cranberries style within an inch of our lives. For some of us, those eyebrows never get, grow back. And Joanne's eyebrows never came back. There was a gap in the middle that was just too vast. And I don't know if I said it to her face or only behind her back because I couldn't bear to look at her eyebrows. <laughs> no, but uh, she's got some microblading and she posted a little selfie the other day. And I said to myself, Joanne looks incredible. So Joanne, congratulations for finally taking the steps to correct your eyebrows. I get my eyebrows microbladed, though I haven't for a long time because it's one of the self-care things that gets on the back burner for me. In Hertfordshire, uh, what is that? Kings Langley is the town, which I think is from like Game of Thrones or something. I don't watch it, but she's called Hannah Kelly, H-A-N-A Kelly. And she is such a dedicated, meticulous, perfectionist eyebrow artiste. She also works deep in the city of London. So if you can look for her on Instagram or follow her there, just to even see the microblading that she's done. And I think she does permanent makeup as well. She's so talented and she has transformed my eyebrows. She's made it so that I don't have to wear uh, eyebrow pencil. You know, the fair skinned people like us, it's tough. You know, I know a lot of very dark, haired, like thick haired women who complain about having to wax or having to shave their legs a lot, you can cram it because you have gorgeous eyebrows, a big bouncing, beautiful ponytail, and the fair skinned girls like us with blonde hair on our legs that we never have to shave. Okay. But we're basically bald, bald in the face, bald in the head. So everybody wants what they don't have. Just embrace it. Get your eyebrows microbladed if you need to. All right. So Joanne wrote, Catherine, this week, I was nervous to open up the mailbox after your take on Jonah Hill. Such a polarizing topic. Joanne, you have to stop always saying like you're scared of this and you're nervous of that and you're worried about this. Put a little elastic band around your wrist because this is the new you. You finally got eyebrows now. We can see what's happening with your face. You have done a beautiful framework. So carry on like I am with my energy Lean into that momentum, Joanne, and stop using such negative words all the time. I'm worried. I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm concerned. Who the fuck cares if people agree with me or not? Not me. I don't know why you care. And I'm going to fire you from the email job if it upsets you so much. Because guess what? If I gave a shit what every bitch in New York said about me, I'd never leave the house. That's a Samantha Jones quote. I was nervous to open the mailbox after your take on Jonah Hill. It's such a polarizing topic, but your listeners who wrote in were unanimously refreshed by your take. The general consensus seems to be that he was being a dick, but not an abuser. And here's one email like that. Catherine, I wanted to say I loved your take on the Jonah Hill thing. I don't agree with you or disagree with you. In fact, I don't have an opinion on it, but I love that as a feminist, which I consider myself to be also, you are still happy to look at fairly open-mindedly with the information in front of you and speak openly about your actual opinion, regardless of the narrative that is often expected. I find there's often little space for nuance these days, particularly a feminist in the public eye, who doesn't tow a strict party line 100% of the time. That's what I'm trying to bring you here. And when you disagree with me, you know, that's fair enough as well. I, I don't understand. There was someone that upset Joanne the other week because uh, they disagreed with what I said about Miss Rachel, who's like a baby entertainer, Miss Rachel's teeth. Now, in that instance, I prefaced what I said with, this is a terrible shallow, vain, awful thing to say. I think I said, my exact words were, this might be the worst thing I've ever said. 
But I do think it's important on this podcast, which is titled Telling Everybody Everything, to workshop thoughts. And sometimes your thoughts won't be completely correct. And sometimes your thoughts will be bad. You'll go, oh my God, I have this feeling about myself or about that topic. I know it's wrong, but where's this feeling coming from? And a lot of people wrote back about the Rachel teeth thing. One woman was like, I am no longer a fan of yours because you are so shallow. And it's like, bitch, I said I was about to be shallow. Like, did you not hear me say, this is a horrible thought. You don't have horrible thoughts. You don't sometimes have judgmental thoughts about yourself or other people, but what do you do? You just bury those and pretend you never had them? No, I had to say it out loud to be like, because then I reflected on it that week. I got a really nice email from someone actually who was like, Catherine, it made me feel badly about my own teeth that you criticized Miss Rachel's teeth. To be clear, my problem with Miss Rachel's teeth at the time was that I know she's a millionaire and it's not just that she's on television, It's that the camera zooms in high definition on her teeth, like as on a huge big screen in my living room. And then she's enunciating words to teach a baby. So she's like, mama, and it's very close up. And I'm just like, when you, if I'm Miss Rachel and I know that my teeth are that front and center, close, close up, focused only on my mouth, then I'm going to have like super white, super clean, super straight teeth. So that's what I was trying to say. She's not just like a normal person on TV with her whole face. However, I have reflected on that because the woman who wrote me the nice email was like, you know, my teeth have been a source of shame for me a lot of my life and I cannot afford to get them fixed. And I think that when people look at me, maybe they they see that and they think that I'm less than because I haven't had them fixed. And I did really reflect and I thought, well, what is it about me what, how, how poisoned have I been by this Turkish trend of everyone that I work with in media having either naturally perfect teeth or orthodontically straightened, whitened teeth or fully fake teeth? That has become normal to me. And so when I look at someone, because I watched Miss Rachel again the next day and I was like, wait a minute, I, I remembered her teeth as being way worse than they are. Like her teeth are actually lovely. And that was a real eye-opener for me. I was like, there's nothing wrong with her teeth. I live in like this world in my brain where I have normalized fake teeth and real teeth look crazy to me. And then I had to really think about like, Jesus, do I want my babies growing up thinking that my teeth are the only acceptable teeth? Well, yes, because I'm going to pay for them to get my teeth. But (laughs) no, Um, yeah, babies and children and everyone should get used to seeing like organic teeth. I'm the one who has a fucking problem is what I'm saying. So I'm glad I said that out loud. I'm really glad I said it. And I expected some of you to disagree with me because when I say that out loud, I am forced to then reflect. And then I learned something new about myself, age 40, super tired. How often does that happen? And now I look at the world in a a more critical way. I go, Catherine, is that your brain thinking that's wrong because you are damaged or is that right? So there you go. So it was a learning moment for me on the teeth. Thank you for what you said though. Like I'm never afraid to give my opinion, even if I'm worried it's the wrong opinion. More from Joanne. Catherine, apparently a lot of bi and lesbian women are listeners of your podcast because the responses to the straight married woman from last week crushing on her female trainer came flooding through. It's a lesbian term. Wanking in bed next to your partner. Mmm, this was a heated topic. Many responded with similar stories, but not necessarily advice. And many more felt that you should have been clutching your pearls tighter at the act. Some went as far to say as it counts as a non-consensual sex act since their partner is sleeping right next to them unaware. You're definitely right that porn and masturbation and even internet flirting is not black and white. And many people have different ideas of what is acceptable or not. All right, so beginning with the masturbating email, yeah, I got loads of responses into my social media, uh, people who want to email in. If you want to react to anything you hear on this podcast, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. One woman said, oh, I I put it to my partner who doesn't listen to your podcast. I said, what would you do if you caught me masturbating like in the shower, which is different from right next to someone in the bed. But he was like, I would take a picture or something, or I would get my camera out. (laughs) I don't know. Men are different. But um, I get it. I get. Oh, so it's sort of to me like, you know, teen movies that 
my generation would have watched back when they used to make movies. Um, there would be a boy and he was a really handsome boy and he'd be outside the girl's bedroom window with a guitar or like holding up a stereo playing a love song or he'd be throwing rocks at her window or something. All of the behavior in romantic teen movies from my generation was stalkerish unless it was reciprocated. So because this guy was a hunk, usually JTT, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, Ethan Hawke, like someone sexy, you'd be like, mm, I love that. But if the guy that you weren't interested in was doing that, he would be labeled a stalker. So weird behavior was encouraged with these films. And I think the same is true for your husband wanking in bed. Like, if I have to be dead honest with you, not that Bobby would do that, but I feel like where do you want him to wank? Like if he wakes up at 4 a.m. and he really can't get back to sleep unless he like pleasures himself, I suppose he could quietly go to the bathroom. But what if you have a situation where that's going to wake people up? And I suppose if you live in a palace, he could go to the wanking quarters. But most people don't have the option to go somewhere else. So I guess if he quietly wanks in bed, like... I personally don't think I would care. I don't. But with other partners who already gave me the ick, maybe I would care. And if his pornification, you know, behavior was ever present in our relationship and it was an issue, then maybe I would care. You know, so this woman is absolutely not wrong for getting the ick. All I was trying to say is that these sexual behaviors will fall under different categories of acceptability to you depending on the nature of your relationship and your specific boundaries. And I would say that in every marriage, what's really important is to make those boundaries clear from the get-go. Like if you're in a relationship where you don't want someone wanking in bed next to you, I mean, you probably already know that. Like Bobby just wouldn't do it. But if you're not sure, bring up this podcast with your partner. Be like, wow, this woman wrote in about our partner wanking at 4 a.m. in the bed, and I think that that is a non-consexual sex act, and I would be appalled. And your husband's gonna be like, duly noted, don't wanna get canceled in this house. Okay, here's a letter from the lesbians. Joanne has chosen her favorite lesbian letter. And thank you to the lesbian community for listening to this podcast. Do you know that I was awarded Celebrity Ally of the Year 2023 at the LGBTQAI Plus Awards? And that matters to me. I don't, you know, I love the gay community and I feel touched by that because I feel like they're a very discerning community. Catherine, with regard to the listener who fancies her gym instructor, I am bisexual. Oh, she's not a lesbian. I'm a bisexual woman whose straight female friend developed a crush on me, which was reciprocated. I let her take the lead sexually because I was conscious of sleeping with a straight person for the first time. And I wanted to make sure that she was sure she was sure. Later, she married a man, and we remained friends. She has always said to this day, I'm not bisexual, I just fancied you. A similar Google whack happened at my straight sister with her female colleague while she was in a long-term relationship. She also does not identify as bi. She discussed it with her male partner, but actually he did feel a bit threatened, so nothing happened there. I guess anything can happen emotionally, and it doesn't necessarily define you as one thing or another. I think you can just fancy some people, irrespective of gender or your relationship status. But at the end of the day, don't change your life just because you have a crush. That is advice for the ages. Oh, here's some delightful news to start the week. Swedish fashion giant H&M has sued Chinese fast fashion e-tailer Sheen, Shane. If you don't know what I'm talking about, basically, Teenagers will only wear clothing if it was made by someone in indentured servitude, ideally a nine-year-old. And when they receive those like bicycle shorts that cost three pounds, they get a lovely photo of the child working her little fingers to the bone in the factory. And this is why I try my damnedest not to support fast fashion. I get it, it makes you feel good to buy a new outfit and Instagram makes you think you can only wear it once and you better only wear it once because that shit is flammable and will be destroyed by the laundry. Though I encourage you to invest in slow fashion. So that's like something that is locally made, something that you can wear many times. You know when you look in your wardrobe and it's like overflowing with shit and you don't know what you're gonna wear anyway because you can't see in it. But when you go into a nice shop, they only have a few things on rails and like you just want everything in that shop because you can see it, you can work with it, it is like cohesive. 
like there are certain Instagrammers who do that. They'll be like, here are the pieces that I'm wearing this summer. That's it. And then they just rotate a few things. And I really think that no matter what your budget, you can slow down your fashion. Meanwhile, hopefully these two are eating each other up. It's so exciting. So H&M spokesperson said, we believe that Sheen in multiple cases has infringed on our designs. Bcha, yeah, right. That is exclusively what these fast fashion retailers do. They watch the catwalks and they look at actual designer brands and creativity and they go, how can we mass produce this? The lawsuit was first initiated in 2021 regarding items featuring a unicorn design created by H&M's in-house design team in Stockholm. The suit points to the striking resemblance between the products showing that they must have been copied and the sheer scale of the unauthorized, substantial reproduction of the copywritten works. So Sheen or Shane, I do not know how to say it, they produce an astounding number of items on a daily basis, the primary reason why the company has an unsustainable model. Each item is produced in small numbers between 50 and 100 pieces a day before it becomes popular and then they mass produce what becomes popular. And this is just a $100 billion fashion brand where the staff work 75 hour weeks I mean, that's according to this one article. I don't want to get sued by Sheen. They could crush me. H&M currently churn out 3 billion garments a year. As of 2019, was sitting on a $4.1 billion stock of unsold clothes. Well, goddamn. Do what you want to do, but there is some food for thought. Where it comes from and whether we're going to be crushed by these brands. I mean, AI is taking over my job. Surely AI is going to be taking over all these factory jobs anyway. And like, this is why the writers are striking from what I understand. If you haven't seen in America, there are these huge strikes on SAG, AFRA or ACTRA, whatever they call it. I don't believe I'm part of any union at all, even though I have had my own comedy sitcom on Netflix, and I'm a writer. I've written for shows. I've written my specials, obviously. Um, For some reason, I don't, I can still work because I'm not part of any of the unions, though I support the unions, but I almost feel like they're fighting what is most certainly a losing battle. What I understand about AI, so you know when you use the little like chat bots, and people my daughter's age use those to cheat on their homework. They'll use the little bot and go, Hey, chatbot, will you please write me an essay about Cleopatra that's like 5,000 words long and, you know, speaks about A, B, and C specifically, historically. And the thing goes, yep, and just makes it immediately. And I don't know how teachers are policing this. I suppose we just didn't have the technology to do that when we were young. But what I also hear is happening, and Fred would love this, and I believe wholeheartedly that there's nothing we can do to stop it because studios don't care about people. Like, they're just care about money. Oh, studios who like protected Harvey Weinstein for generations, they don't care about human beings. So they have this program that I believe they're already working on where you can say to your streaming service or your channel, whatever, it's not Netflix specific at all. I love Netflix. I don't blame anyone for doing this because everyone's greedy and trying to make money and these decisions happen at the top. You go to Netflix. I want to see a film about monster trucks with Spider-Man in it, played by the blippy actor. And I want planes and dogs. I would like it to be a romantic comedy and a cartoon like 50 minutes long. And all of a sudden your streamer will go and it has already scanned actors. It's scanned actor voices. It has a system that can write a script like that. And boom, you'll be given an AI movie. And then halfway through, you'll go, oh, no, actually, could I replace that actor with Alicia Silverstone? And the AI will go, no problem, here you go. And then they don't have to pay writers. And that is a thousand percent where we are headed. I believe that. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. I think like, yeah, why wouldn't they use AI if they could? And every time you use AI, so those face filters or those things, you are training it to be smarter. And I don't worry about it. You know, we have these these uh, dystopian stories about robots stomping through the city and getting smart and taking over. They're not taking us over like that. They're just slowly, slowly teaching us how to think and taking our jobs, which is the same as killing us. So writers and actors are on strike in LA because they need a new deal. They need a new contract. They need to be paid fairly for the work they're doing. And God bless them. I hope it works out for them. But I feel... 
Like it's grim out there with AI and surely factory jobs will be taken by AI as well. One movie that uh, is huge because I don't know where the marketing budget came from for this thing. Hi Barbie, Barbie is on every piece of clothing, every fashion partnership, they have tricked people good. It is so easy to see that if you offer someone an opportunity for a selfie against the backdrop of whatever you want, whatever you want, they will take that selfie. So there are things where you can make yourself a Barbie, but also in shops, you can stand inside the Barbie box. People love to do that. And then they'll share that image. And what that is, is free marketing and publicity for your film. And it has worked with Barbie. It's so fun. We all grew up with it. It is a recognizable brand. And they are rolling out all these premieres and red carpets and everyone's in pink and everyone looks amazing. And it's apparently a very good movie too, though Violet went to see it with her best friend the other day and she didn't understand it. She said, like, I don't mean to spoil it for you, but spoiler alert in case you haven't seen it. Uh, it's kind of a mild spoiler because Violet's not sure how it ended. She goes, I don't really know. I think maybe she died or became human. I'm not sure. I was like, well, there's a huge difference there. And I said, is Ken gay? And she's like, no, I don't think so. But there are a lot of themes about the patriarchy and feminism and what toxic masculinity is and what kind of man Ken needs to be. And I know all this without even seeing the film. And I won't be seeing the film until it comes out at home. Number one, because I have small children. But number two, because I could not get an invite to the premiere. And everybody went to the premiere. You guys all have this problem, right? You didn't get invited to the premiere. I really wanted to go because it was a really cool one in Leicester Square. And Bobby and I like to have date nights where we go out to these little events. And um, it's just so much fun. You see your friends there, you see lots of different outfits, you get to do glam, hair and makeup, and choose an amazing outfit. And it felt like this was the talk of the town, the hot ticket. Everyone went to see the Barbie premiere. And people, no offense, many more people fam more famous than I am, but loads of people less famous than I am got to go see the Barbie movie. And I know why I didn't get invited. It's because I don't have a PR. I told you a few weeks ago that PR is great for some people. If you're an actress or if you're a company or, you know, loads of people need PR, but not someone with a voice as accessible and strong and authentic as mine. Anything I want to say or do, I just do it. I don't need a team charging me five grand a month. So for that reason, I let go of my PR. Nothing weird, you know, nothing, no bad blood there. I just didn't need it. I couldn't justify that cost. And if I still had that PR, I absolutely could have been invited to the Barbie movie. And my agent was like, well, you don't have a PR anymore. And I was like, yeah, I let them go 35,000 pounds ago. That's how much it would have cost me to keep my PR on from December when I let them go to now. Do I want to pay 35,000 pounds to go to the Barbie premiere? I absolutely would rather make a down payment on a houseboat houseboat, because in London, that is not a down payment for a house. But I mean, it's amazing what people spend on PR. It is incredible what people spend on PR. And I'm just not sure in my position if I could ever justify that. And so it looked like a fun premiere. Did you see the Barbie movie? What did you think? I think it looks cute. I, I love Margot Robbie. And I also love that Barbie is played by a grown ass woman. And you know I love Ryan Gosling because he's Canadian. I don't know if you've seen Breaker High, but get yourself on the internet and download it now. If not, it is his breakout role, pre-notebook, pre-everything. A wonderful series. So I don't know if you are on Black Instagram, but I am. And I didn't see this story reported in any mainstream media, though admittedly I don't live in America and I don't follow mainstream media. But about two weeks ago, a young woman called Carly Russell went missing. And it was a crazy story, really. Her brother was making videos asking, like, please help find my sister. This isn't being covered. This isn't being covered. They don't look for certain types of missing women, i.e. in Canada, indigenous women are still missing and never properly looked for. And statistically, black women in America get less coverage too. All ethnic minorities somehow uh, appear to be seen as more disposable than if a beautiful blonde lady goes missing on holiday. That makes the front pages of all the news. I think the most... Um, 
I mean, it's so sad. It's always sad when someone loses their life. But Natalie Holloway in America was this very beautiful blonde college student who went missing, was ultimately found deceased. And that was like a big, big, big story. Of course, Jean Benet Ramsey was a beautiful child who met uh, a terrible demise. And that was news for like decades. And the Madeleine McCann thing, you know, they, the, for some reason, certain cases are more publicized than others. And that, I mean, the reality is like, unfortunately, loads and loads and loads of people lose their lives and are victims of abuse and go missing. So, I mean, they can't cover it all, but truthfully, they don't cover ethnic minorities enough. There is a disparity there. So I was really gripped by this story. Carly Russell was driving on the motorway and then she saw, this is what I first understood in the reports, she saw a toddler wandering along and she got out of her car to help this toddler who's wandering around the road and she dialed 911 while she was doing this. So on the 911 call, she could be heard screaming and then the call goes dead. And so she's disappeared. There's no sign of this child, but also her car with her phone and all her belongings is on the side of the road. So where is this woman? And days go by where Instagram was really picking this story up and sharing it between people to be like, let's find this woman. Why isn't it being covered in mainstream media? And then we started talking about all of these themes that I just previously discussed. Then maybe three or four days go by and a police spokesperson, the chief or whomever comes out and he says, listen, um, she has been found. Her story is she was taken by a man who was like ginger with a bald spot and put in his car. He put tape over his mouth, but he didn't handcuff her because he said he didn't want to leave marks. She was naked at one point, but she wasn't assaulted uh, physically, but they did take photos of her at some point. She doesn't remember. And then she remembers they had a woman who didn't have actual contact with her for a while, but she could hear the woman speaking in the front of the car. And then the woman was doing her hair at one point and feeding her crackers at one point. She had lots of like bits to this story. And then somehow she escaped after being driven through the woods and happened to be near her parents' house. So she escaped and ran to her parents' house where she was able to call the police. And there was something not right about that. So the police looked into it and her search history gave her away. So in the days leading up to her disappearance, she had been Googling things like, you know, where could I find a missing toddler and what would I do in that instance or something? Or then like, how could I get a bus ticket from here to here? And then she also downloaded the movie Taken starring Liam Neeson. Infamously, his daughter is Taken. He's like, give me back my daughter. You know that film. So there were lots of footprints of foul play along the way. Like she had engineered this disappearance herself. And the internet took this story and ran with it because parts of it, though very tragic, it had all the ingredients for internet internet backlash. It had something funny. Like it is a little bit in a dark sense funny to download the movie Taken and to search all this in your search history and think you're not going to get caught and then pretend to be abducted yourself. And people also had their feelings hurt because they were out looking for this woman and sharing stories about this woman and people felt tricked and people felt deceived. And so the abuse just piled on. This Carly story became a meme and it was just like, ah, ha, ha, I can't believe she downloaded Taken with these just, me, you know, very memeable content. And it didn't last too long before some people came out and said, well, hang on, let's not let this discourage us from publicizing stories and trying to find missing black women because this does go underreported. And also let's have some grace for this woman who clearly did these things due to an underlying depression or mental illness that's different. You know, she obviously you have to have something very wrong and very sad to do something like that. So I liked watching the journey of empathy. I feel like the internet is turning its back on just cancel culture because this woman could have been like Rachel Dolezal. Do you remember Rachel Dolezal and what she went through for what really now is 
kind of understandable. Like she, Rachel Dolezal was the woman who was white, raised by white parents, but she identified as black and she was president of the NCWP, which pissed people off because she was a white woman pretending to be a black woman taking a very high powered black job. And it had all these themes, you know, everything always you unpack it and it's like an orange and it's got loads of discussion points and information. But then she made a documentary where it showed like she had a uh, black partner. Her children were black. She was alienated from her uh, biological family and she was raised by black people in a black community and she just felt you know because now we make all types of allowances for um gender identity and lots of different things like that and this this poor woman i'm not saying she was right or wrong again i just think the amount of abuse that rachel dolezal endured for just you know maybe she was exploiting um privilege as a white woman masquerading as a black woman and telling people she was black when she wasn't, you know, that was dishonest. She shouldn't have done that. But if you look deeper, there's always a greater understanding for what motivates someone to do the things that they did. And with this Carly Russell story, I'm glad that it's a shorter journey to that understanding. Years ago, she just would have been canceled, like, ha, ha, ha. And that did happen on the internet for a few days. But now we've had the discussions and gone, let's not take the energy out of finding missing black women, missing indigenous, missing you know, ethnic minority women. And also let's understand that this woman had a mental illness. And I think hopefully each time something like this happens on the internet, a big boom of a story that seems like funny and fun and rich and kind of nasty and people want revenge. I hope the timeline gets shorter to where we can go straight to empathy and be like, oh, okay, if she didn't hurt anyone, you know, people were looking for her and it scared a lot of people, but like, she's not well, let's talk about that. There are so many interesting letters from all of you this week, so let's hear from our sponsors. And when we return, I will see what dilemmas you have, what trouble, what scrapes you've gotten yourselves into this week, what advice you need. If you ever want to write me a letter, it's telling everybody everything at gmail.com. I'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. First letter of the week. Catherine, I'm really struggling to bond with my partner of four years family. He's very close with his mom and sister and made it clear that they were a big part of his life from the offset. So I understood a relationship with them would be important for me. However, they clearly did not give it the same importance. And for the first three years of our relationship, I was left out of family gatherings, even being told they need just family time, i.e. without me. Then the final straw was a birthday surprise arranged for my partner, to which I was not even invited. In fact, I don't think it even dawned on any of them that perhaps I should have been there. We're both in our 30s and we live together. This is his first relationship, so I get he's not always going to get it right the first time, but enough is enough. He's now told them that I am part of his family and therefore I should be invited. However, since he said this, yes, I've been invited, but given zero input into the agenda, so I'm expected just to drop everything and go along with their plans. How do I move this on and get over my sheer heartbreak which has now just turned to anger. I'm reluctant to give them any of my time. I feel bad for him to be in the middle of this as he is a nice person, if slightly clueless on this whole matter. But now the issue is me being mad and stubborn. I'm struggling to move past it. What can I do? Well, his family are so stupid because if you two decide to get married or have children, all of a sudden 
the shoe is on the other foot and you hold the cards. You are the family. And you can turn around and say to your mother-in-law, well, I'm sorry, it's family only this Christmas. I think I would sit down with these bitches. I would be like, maybe you don't like me and you don't want me to be part of his family, in which case we need to have that conversation. But if you do then I want you to know how invested I am in your son, your brother, how much I want this to be my lifelong relationship. And I want you to just take a minute, don't threaten them, but just be like, how would you feel if we had children one day and I told you it was family only and that you couldn't come because you're not my blood relative? Like These people sound like assholes because it is really difficult to want to be part of a family like that. Do you know what I mean? Because the apple sometimes falls quite far from the tree, but what if it doesn't? Like, I think I'm so lucky. I really respect Bobby's family. I like his mom a lot. I love his sisters a lot. Like, I think they're great. But if I didn't like them, I would be looking for like footprints of them in him. You know, I'd be like, God, everyone in your family sucks. Maybe you suck too. I just haven't seen it. I actually had a partner one time who uh, had a Christmas that she banned my mother from. She banned my mother. She said, oh no, I'm sorry, it's family only. And she cried and she did the whole like, your mother can't see you this morning because it's just my Christmas. And I was like, well, that's mental. And this was a long time ago, probably like 12 years ago. And then my mom had Violet a few weeks ago. My mom was driving Violet around Canada and this woman was like, oh, maybe I'll get to see Violet. And my mom was like, no, family only. Violet didn't really want to go. But like, it's you. she's burning bridges with you, basically, his mom. It's like, what are you doing? Why can't she think ahead? And I don't know what culture this is. I don't know if there are cultural implications to like, maybe they will take you more seriously when you make the commitment, like you're his first girlfriend, so maybe they just think, oh, he's gonna have many girlfriends. We don't wanna become emotionally invested in this one. But it is down to him. Like if you don't wanna have this chat yourself, you need to sit him down and be like, tell these people under no uncertain terms. Cause it really feels like the women are pulling all the strings and this man is getting away with just being like, oh, I don't know. I just, I love everyone. It's like, no, stand up and protect me, tell them that I am your family, which I know he's done, but I don't know if he said it with enough chest because you're still left out or feeling left out. And plus it's too little too late because all this resentment's built up. So yeah, at this point, I would question whether this partner is the one for you, whether you want to deal with these people your whole life because it sounds like there's going to be some element of fuckery or whether you can sit down with them and just be like, do you like me, yes or no? Do you want a relationship with your grandchildren if I have them? Not saying you're definitely gonna have kids, but if you do plan on that, I'd be like, think about, I'm not threatening you, think about how that would feel and hopefully that turns it around. If it doesn't, if this does not turn around immediately, then you might need to get out of this relationship unless you're prepared to navigate these women forever. Next, Catherine, third wheeling. Am I the dick? I've got a two week holiday planned to visit my long distant friend in Peru to tour the country with her. And I've had my flights booked for a while. The other day we were loosely planning where to go to stay. And she mentioned that her girlfriend also wants to come. Her long distant girlfriend lives in Colorado where they met. And I know she's never visited my friend in Peru. It's always been my friend traveling to the US to visit her. If it was just a couple days, I wouldn't mind so much, but I don't want a third wheel for a two week tour. How do I say this without sounding like a dick? I think that, first of all, I don't, well, why do you want it to be just you and your friend? You don't have the energy maybe to meet a whole new friend? Because to me, it sounds like you're viewing yourself as the third wheel when this person from Colorado could also be the third wheel. You might be meeting a whole new friend and you might be able to go to Colorado next. You know what I mean? It sounds like you guys are all really well-traveled gals and you have friends in different countries and you like to go on holidays and stuff. Um, I think that you are sort of catastrophizing by thinking that your Peru friend and her Colorado friend are going to be like besties on this tour and you're going to be left out. You know, I think Peru, I don't really know a lot about it. Let me ask, let me ask. Is Peru a safe place for a woman to travel? Let's find out. 
Peru is a relatively safe country for women to travel alone. It is generally rare to encounter any situation that will make you feel uncomfortable or insecure. Traveling around Peru is generally safe and reliable. So it's a country that a solo female traveler can travel to without any serious issues. Oh, I was going to say safety in numbers. It's cool to have three of you. I do get that with hotels and stuff, sometimes two is just, you know, streamlined. But I think that I would definitely have a chat. I would go look. I thought it was just going to be the two of us. I don't know if I had the energy to like meet a whole new person. I just wanted it to be us. Maybe I should reschedule. I know you've had your flights booked and maybe they're non-refundable. But if you can switch the dates, like maybe just be like, I don't have the energy for a third person. Sorry. And I feel kind of hurt because I thought it was going to be us. And at least maybe you could have come to me and said, do you mind if so-and-so comes too? I'm sure she's not meaning to offend you. She just thinks the more the merrier. It'll be awesome. And I think that maybe you should try to see it that way too, because it could be great. My friend Caitlin lives in Finland now. She's Violet's godmother. She's my best friend from when I was really young. And she went to university in America because she is an athlete. Big ups the women's World Cup soccer, i.e. football in the UK. Um, She's not playing in that, but I mean, I've been converted. I like women's football now. She was a lady goalkeeper in Canada. And when you're good at sports, sometimes you get scholarships to America. So I wish I had been good at sports. And she made new friends there. And we did spring break together one year. We wanted to go to Florida. And she brought a friend from her school. And... I don't remember that bothering me. I I didn't think I would ever be a third wheel. I just went, yeah, all right, I'm coming. And it was fine. I didn't need time alone with Caitlin. If anything, it was was nice to have three because in two is quite one-on-one intimate and you run out of things to say after two weeks. We, We weren't there for two weeks. I think I was there for three or four days, but three can be fun. Three can be fun. Or maybe you could even organize a little like video chat with this girl in Colorado and be like, look, I know we're going to be traveling together for two weeks. And I've had some concerns about feeling like the third wheel. So I thought maybe you and I could just have a chat to break the ice and like, then we all know each other before we get on the plane. This is going to be fun. Don't let it spoil your trip. Definitely have a chat with your friend. But I think that once you clear the air, you will feel very much not like a third wheel and just like an amazing girl gang with picks to last a lifetime. Oh no, Catherine, my partner came out to his family with disastrous results. I am a 31-year-old gay man who has been fully out of the closet since I was a teen. I left my conservative hometown to live my best gay life in the big city and never looked back. Congratulations. Since then, I've always told myself never to date a closeted man. So naturally, my dumbass went and fell in love with one. Ah, the modern day, never date a poor man, never fall in love with one, never date a closeted man, never, you know. I've been married, oh no, I've been with my partner, he's 33, for four and a half years, and we've been talking about marriage and starting a family. He's already out to all his friends and work colleagues, so the final hurdle was telling his family. My partner decided to tell his sister about our relationship on her own first to get an ally on his side for the big talk with his parents. Well, it backfired. She cried about it for days, told him that their parents would not support him with his choice and that he was going to hell. My partner is devastated. While I knew his family were conservative, I had no idea they were conservative to this degree, and the reaction came as a shock to him as well. Selfishly, I found this is bringing feelings out of me like I don't want to be tied forever to a homophobic Christian in-law. I don't want them at my wedding, and I certainly wouldn't want to expose my future children to people who believe I'm going to burn in hell. Fair. I know I need to talk to my partner about this, but I don't know where to start. I don't want to pile on to his current trauma coming out process or to make the situation about myself. I'm so fucking tired of homophobia and justifying it with the Bible, and I have no empathy for his family and their reactions. I just want to tell his family to go suck a big, fat fucking cock like I suck their sons every night. I'm so glad you said you suck their sons every night. Because as soon as you went there with big fat, I was like, and that's, you know, we're on the same page. Good for you. Because I think there's too much pussyfooting around with this shit. And like, oh, well, you know, they just need time to fuck off. It's like, what kind of a sister are you that you didn't realize your 33-year-old brother was gay? Number one. What kind of relationship do you, I get you know, that sometimes parents can be removed from your teenage and adult life. And also they're so old that they can be blinded by 
their cultural norms. But I feel like his sister's reaction is maybe even worse than the reaction that his parents are going to have. Like, what is wrong with this loser? I think you need to get this bitch alone. The two of you. The two of you. Because he's done it once with disastrous results, as you say. It can't get any worse. I would have him organize another meeting with the sister and be like, I just want to sit down with you and my partner so that you can see what this means. Because her mind now is racing in all kinds of places where she's, I think a lot of homophobia, and I don't know, but I think from what I've seen and read that it comes from fear, well, phobia, and not fear of gay people, but fear of like, oh no, what does this mean for my brother? Like, does this mean his life will be harder? Does this mean that he's going to be uh, in more danger? Does this mean he won't be able to travel places? He will never be able to have a family. And it doesn't mean those things, you know? So sit down, let her meet you, and just be like, this is what we want. This is our family. Like, we are very serious, and I don't know what you're afraid of, but let's talk about it now. And um, not that you owe her your time or explanation, but I think you're feeling so hurt and angry and he's feeling so hurt and angry that it might not benefit the sister, but it might benefit you just to see that she's scared of the society that she thinks you're going to be hurt by, and which is actually her. She's hurting him the most. And then maybe that will give you some comfort because right now, like I'm just thinking about how to best comfort you guys. And then I would tell his parents and then I would just get on with my life. As you say, I would say to him like, I don't want to navigate this homophobia from your family all the time, and they'll always be your family, but we are not going to mollycoddle them through their bullshit. We are going to proceed with the plans that we have for our lives. And like, I've led a happy life being open and proud about who I am, and you can live this life too. Like, you are liberating him, like Meghan Markle liberated Prince Harry from the cult of the royal family. And he's just going to live a happier life with you. And it is exactly like Meghan Markle and Harry in a way, because he was very bound to a set of very stifling, strict, suffocating rules. And for some people, they flourish in that environment. You know what I mean? Like William and uh, Kate seem to love that life. Uh, Seem to. I don't know. But for Meghan and Harry, like he was always a little bit of an outsider. So now he's free. That's how I see it. And, and he's just been liberated by his relationship. And you need to view yourself as the Australian Meghan Markle who can take this partner. Just get him away from all of that. And if they decide to come around, then they can. But if not, like it's no love lost, like leaving bigots in the dust. Ooh, Catherine, my mom is a radicalized conspiracy theorist. My 64-year-old mother has been radicalized by an internet radio show and is now a full-blown conspiracy theorist. My mother has just re-entered my life in a meaningful way after I fell pregnant. My partner and I have an eight-month-old baby, and my mom has been incredibly supportive and wonderful through many stressful times, like nearly dying of preeclampsia. Whoa. And I'm so thankful she's back in my life. She now listens to an internet radio station that has radicalized her into the most angry, bananas kind of conspiracy theorist. She no longer trusts the government, mainstream media, or doctors. She refuses to watch or read any news site as she believes this show is the only source of truth. Your mom's right. What? Who would trust the government? Like, they are actively trying to kill us, I think. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, your mom doesn't believe the sound words of our government? It doesn't even matter what country you're writing me from. Like, I don't blame people for mistrusting the government. Doctors, all right, that's a bit far. But mainstream media also, like, yes, mainstream media choose what they want to show us. And I say that as someone who is part of mainstream media. And it's never been like, don't say this, Catherine, you can't say that, Catherine, you mustn't. But it's like, you know, I'm also not involved in like serious news programming, but like I know how it works. They can edit the information that they give. And it just seems like too much of a coincidence that it's always like everything splits us exactly down the middle. And if it's not like war here, then it's war there. And then why don't we talk about the other war over there? Well, right now we're just talking about this war. And now it's like all these gender wars. And then there were riots and they would only show us like, well, this is happening when every one of your neighbors who disagrees with you actually hates you. And it 
does feel a little drummed up and it definitely feels like in the last few years, people have become even more polarized and I don't feel like that's an accident. I'm sorry that this is going on with your mother, but like if you're, if the choice is trusting the government and my mom's crazy because she doesn't trust the government, then I'm on your mom's side. Um, ooh, this intense conspiracy-led belief system has changed her personality into that of someone who is deeply angry and agitated and truly believes she is right. It's all she wants to talk about and she cannot and will not listen to any other point of view. She will turn an inane story I have about a renovation into Donald Trump wants freedom for all people. We live in New Zealand. Oh, New Zealand. Um, New Zealand and Canada, though like really above the board and like super left-wing have gone almost communist at this point, like socialist to the point of like, what? And that polarizes people even more when something's like super far left than people who might have been centrist go, whoa, no, hang on a minute. And they feel unheard. Like the reason your mom, you say like she's angry and she's agitated and she truly believes she's right. She will not listen to any other point of view. At 64 years old, like, you need, you need to decide what is most valuable to you. And you say that your mom is great and you love having her back in your life. She's an incredible source of support and she helped you not die of preeclampsia. Like you and your children seem to need this woman, but you don't want to talk politics with her. So why are you even giving her another point of view? Like you don't have to correct this woman at this point. I feel like part of your mom's mania and anger surrounding this is like if you felt like the whole world was against you and was trying to manipulate you in some way and you you would want someone to listen to you she, your mom's afraid your mom's going oh my gosh i can't trust the people that i grew up trusting and everyone's out to get me and whether she's right or wrong you just need to listen and be like wow mom yeah oh no okay no i hear you so you can't trust the new zealand government and you want freedom and yeah, oh God, that's happening. Jeez. Well, I'm sorry about that, mom, but I don't think that we can change what's happening. All that we have power over is leading a happy life. And that's why I'm so happy to have you back with us and the babies. And we just need to make the best of it, don't we? Oh yeah, mom. No, yeah. I heard you tell me that today. Yeah. I, I understand how frustrating that must be. But for me, mom, I just choose to block all that out. Luckily, New Zealand is like, one of the safest places like away from all the nuclear disaster that's about to happen over there. And we can just enjoy the babies and be with each other. Like, what do you want to have for lunch? Do you know what I mean? I would not meet your mom like head on with more arguments because she's ready for a fight because those internet radio stations take something that's quite like centrist and they like blow it up. You know what I mean? They want people to be angry too. I'm not saying they're not without fault. Whatever internet radio station she's listening to is too far right, I'm sure. But just listen to her and be like, yes, mom, but we can't stop it. So let's just have a drink. Our, our conversations take so many sharp turns into conspiracy land. I feel like I'm going insane. I'm upset and bamboozled. And after every interaction we have, no logic has any place with her anymore. She loves my daughter. She's a great grandmother when she chooses to be. It's like she has split into two people, a loving grandmother and an angry, paranoid conspiracy theorist. I feel like the only next step I have is to tell her to stop talking to me about any of this nonsense, which may again lead her to cutting me out of her life. Yeah, so don't tell her to stop talking to you about it. No, because she has all this pent up info that she needs to share. So just receive it and be like, okay. And that's not for her. That's just like for your own sanity and to salvage the bits of, you know, because growing up, all of our grandparents were racist. All that's happening now is our moms are becoming grandparents. So if you had a mom who wasn't <laughs> sexist or racist or ableist or any of those things before, that's great because those things are actually like evil against people in your community. This generation of grandparents are like anti-government and like anti-establishment and anti-mainstream media. And that's great because all those things need enemies. Last email of the day. Catherine, do I just enjoy the gossip or inform the parties involved? 
I work in healthcare, and I heard some super juicy gossip yesterday about some colleagues. You've come to the right place. Thank you very much. Having slept on it, I now wonder if actually it's not just great mess room chat, but a situation I should do something about. A male colleague, a 30-something-year-old who I know to have been violent and controlling with a previous girlfriend, has been paying his 22-year-old female student 400 pounds a pop to dominate him for sexual gratification, but apparently there was no actual sex involved. Got it. I spent a day with dominatrixes and like findoms and femdoms. I know all about it. It is sex work, even if people aren't having sex. They entered into this arrangement whilst he was her mentor and responsible for the progression of her career. Very important point. This man is also engaged to another female colleague. When they started seeing each other, I provided this woman with the information I had about his previous relationship with a friend of mine. She decided to continue the relationship, as is her prerogative, so I said nothing further. I'm not particularly friendly with any of these people, but I am someone people at work look up to and they look to speak to when something unacceptable is happening. Good for you. This situation is obviously the talk of the town, but management will turn a blind eye unless an official complaint is made. The young student blurted out the story to some colleagues at a social event when she was drunk. I was not there. She said that she'd ended the arrangement, but that he's still pestering her for more. Should I encourage her to raise this with management as a professional issue? He is a registered professional, and this behavior falls below the standards of conduct, performance, and ethics he is expected to meet. At the very least, I don't think he should be responsible for students in the future. (sighs) Thank you for spilling this tea. So this has everything. There's tea, there's cheating, there's sex work, there's like whips and chains and like a Rihanna song that I'm not gonna sing another Rihanna song this week. Na, 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 come on. I'm not gonna do it. Um, wow. But of course, first and foremost, there is the safeguarding issue. But my instinct is that you are someone people come to to speak up. Maybe you might be a bit attracted to the drama and you want to speak up and then you're using this veil of like, it is inappropriate and I don't want him around other students, which I might do too. And Violet certainly would do, you know, drama is drama and justifying it by being like, I mean, he shouldn't be around students. No, he shouldn't. Let me tell you what I would do if it were me. And also please remember that I don't work in professional environments. First, the hang-up that I have, the only thing that makes me a little bit worried is that this student blurted it out around many colleagues whilst she was drunk. And so all these colleagues know, you say it's the talk of the town, everyone always knows, but you weren't at the event, so you don't actually have the first-hand information. For you, it's gossip. And I think that negates you from being the person to blow the whistle. Should you go up to this girl and pester her to do it? I really... Don't think that anyone else needs to be advising this young woman on what to do. I might approach her if you're in situations where you see her often. And I would say, you know, safeguarding means a lot to me in this work environment. And as like an older, I don't know how old you are, but you know, you're older than she is as, you know, someone more established in this job. I want you to know that if anybody does anything that makes you feel uncomfortable or taken advantage of, or unsafe at all, you can always come to me and I'll help you. And there are a lot of people around here like that. So no matter how big or small, if you need help with anything, if anyone has made you feel unsafe, this is a positive workplace where you need to be safeguarded. So come to me. And then that might open the door for her to be like, well, actually, I have been fucking my mentor with a strap on for 400 pounds. And then great. Then you've got the green light to go further on it. But unless you hear it, from the dominatrix's mouth, I don't think that you can whistle blow. So that's what I would do. I would go to her first and I'd be like, I'm a safe space. Um, They used to have this thing with a safety pin. You'd put like a, I don't know what they call a safety pin in this country. I think a safety pin. You'd put it on your clothes and then Whitney Cummings, the comedian, got a safety pin tattooed onto her. And that means like, I am someone that you can come to. I think it's a really beautiful thing. But not enough people know about it to make it work. Most people would be like, there's a safety pin on you. And you'd be like, Then what I would do is I think I, and I always overstep, but I think I would go straight to this man and I'd be like, so professor, 
word on the street is you paid someone whom you were meant to be mentoring, someone that you were in charge of the profession, the progression of their career, you engaged, have been mentoring someone who you also paid 400 pounds to dominate you in a sex act. What's up? Like I would confront him with that. And I go, I know that you dated my friend previously and you were abusive in that relationship. I told your current girlfriend and she, you know, it fell on deaf ears. So I'm not going to tell her about this, but what's what's up like i wouldn't even go to his like engaged fiance with it because she already told you she didn't listen to you once she's not going to listen to you now and also your your first priority is this young woman fucking her men well not fucking him but you know what i mean dominating him whipping him tying him up whatever she's doing i mean sounds like he deserves it no he's getting gratification from it and that is definitely wrong but as i said if you didn't hear this firsthand you can't whistle blow I would check in with the girl because she said it in front of enough people. Everybody's talking about it. And that's a terrible feeling at work too. You know what I mean? So you could even be like, I overheard something and I'm concerned for you. That's what I would do. But definitely I would also like threaten this man, make it seem like I was going to tell him, be like, who's going to go tell you or me? Like the higher ups, that's what I would do. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't go full Catherine Ryan. I would go like step one, Catherine Ryan. <laughs> Thanks for the tea though. My God, let us know how it turns out. I mean, hopefully this young woman is safe and this guy is not around any students again, but let me know if his fiance is willing to put up with this behavior or if she dumps him in some public way at the hospital. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Telling Everybody Everything. I have a sold out gig at the Roundhouse in Camden, sort of Kentish Town, August 17th, but there are usually returns on the door. I would rock up and try to go if you want to. I am be supported by the brilliant Stephen Bailey, Michelle DeSwart, and the London Gay Men's Chorus. I'm trying to get back on stage in London, so support your local comedy club. I might be there. See you soon. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.